So, we're going to talk about how to sell software using sales. Yeah. It'll take about 60 minutes for, for it to really, like, land. All right, so let's see. We'll do the clicker magic. Which direction do I have to click? Oh, there's the pointer. Sales. We'll try this again. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. There you go. So I, I truly believe that appreciation is the currency you pay the universe with. So I want to say uh, thanks for Mark for inviting me. Uh, even more importantly, I want to say thanks to Patrick for suggesting to Mark to invite me. And I want to thank myself for suggesting to Patrick to suggest to Mark <laughs> to invite me. Right, so uh, thanks for all of you for, for showing up. It's the last talk. I'll try to make it as boring as I can. Well, now that I say thank you, I want to complain a little bit. Because typically when I give talks, I do curse a lot. So much so that people track how much I curse, you know, and which depth they, they run analytics on it. And not just that, there's a, there's a person that used uh, Clarify.io's API to take out all the curse word out of my keynotes and upload it to YouTube. <laughs> so if you go to YouTube and you search for Stella's vocabulary, you'll find these, uh, these videos. Now, Mark made me promise that I, this presentation would be clean, which is very challenging to me. Um, so I'll try to do my best. Uh, Phil, actually, who was uh, working with me at Close, I was leading the product team, on the flight to Boston uh, was asking me, well, if you can curse, what is it? Is it an hour presentation? Usually you have about five minutes of content. <laughs> How are you gonna, what are you going to do with these 55 minutes that you usually don't need? And I thought, for, my first reaction was, let's just do Q&A. Like, let me cop out of this. <laughs> right? And then I thought, no. You know, I would curse at this point. It. I will. Uh, I will do 60 minutes of content, no questions, right? So if you have questions, I'm sorry. Uh, but the good news is that tomorrow I'm going to be doing a workshop. This is how I sell the workshop. So if you have questions at this end of this presentation, uh, we don't have time. Just come to my workshop, right, and ask all your questions. All right, so first of all, raise your hands. Be proud if you have no clue who I am. Must be most of you. Thank you. This is the level of humble pie I need to eat to start a presentation. <laughs> Still a lot more work to be done. So I'll give you the, the quick version of who I am, why I care about sales and software, why I know a thing or two about it. So first, just on the personal side, I'm originally Greek, but I grew up in Germany. I used to say I have the best that Europe has to offer, culturally, you know, the two opposites. Um, I dropped out of high school when I was 17, 18 to start my first business. I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life. Another way of saying it is I'm completely unemployable. I have zero credentials. Nobody would ever give me a job. So when people ask me, why are you a serial entrepreneur, Sally? What made you decide to do that? I'm like, it's a lack of options, really. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Not very inspirational, but it's the truth. All right, so I won't bore you with my life story. There's plenty of videos of me boring other people with it. Um, but the last company that I started is really relevant for this. So the last business we started, it started off as a services company. It was called Elastic Sales. And what we did is we offered B2B startups in Silicon Valley an outsourced sales team on demand. Think AWS for sales. Just replace the service with salespeople, right? Kind of a compelling pitch. And then we thought, you know, you would just kick off the salespeople, you know, scale them up. You'd see a dashboard online, you'd get like another 10 salespeople, right? You see the live calls and emails, and you just lean back, and the money's you know, coming in, and you just go, another 100 salespeople, please. So it's kind of how it worked, not exactly, but uh, it worked well enough so that we, we actually did uh, sales for over 200 venture backed startups in Silicon Valley. And for a while, we were the best kept secret in the Valley because only VCs and CEOs knew we existed, but we knew everyone in the B2B space. We knew everyone's problems. 
We knew everybody's best tactics, strategies, technologies. We knew what all these companies were struggling with. And we were developing you know, sales models from the ground up for some of um, the hottest companies. Some of them might even be called today unicorns, right? Uh, so that's how we got started. And from day one, we built internal software, uh, mainly because two of my co-founders were technical, but the other side of it was that I hated all the sales software that was out there. So selfishly, we just looked at each other and went, let's just build software. It's going to help us scale this services organization, right? This thousands and thousands of salespeople around the world. So that was really the reason why we started building software. And then at the beginning, we really didn't have a clue what we wanted to build. We didn't really have a vision other than we hate everything else. But um, yeah, about six to nine months into developing the product and growing the business, we started really getting, you know, creating a point of view and really understanding and believing what is good sales software? What is sales in essence, really? Uh, and we, the product started, the software started becoming better and better and better. Eventually, it got so good that there was a lot of demand outside. And we decided in January 2013 to release the software we thought it would take a very, very long time for the software to, to grow because we're in an insanely competitive space. Uh, and I like to say as an entrepreneur, I've been wrong my entire life about everything. And uh, very rarely am I glad that I was wrong. And this was one of those times. When we launched Closeout, I thought that it would take us three to four years to catch up with the revenue of the services business. And it didn't. It happened a lot faster. Uh, when people ask me today, how did you guys decide strategically to move into the CRM space? It's so competitive. I'm like, because we didn't strategically decide to move into the CRM space. <laughs> That's probably why it worked, because we kind of stumbled into that. I would have never wanted to get into that market, ever. Now I'm loving it. I mean, we're crushing it. We're very, very successful. Uh, Closer is a piece of uh, sales software that's great for companies that do B2B sales that do inside sales. So if you sell primarily through the phone and email, we're the best tool in the world to do that. Uh, and we have thousands of customers around the world. We're highly profitable. We're growing really, really fast. I'll brag a bit more later on. All right. So, uh, oh, another thing that might be relevant to this audience, I have a podcast. Uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, we release 20-minute talks. It's me and my really good friend, Heaton Shah, founder of Kissmetrics and Crazy Egg. He's the marketing guy. I'm the sales guy. We talk very tactical, but then also we talk about how did the deaths of our parents affect us as entrepreneurs? What were the darkest moments? Religion, depression, nothing is off, off topic. And we're struggling to find more ridiculous topics that nobody's ever talked about and challenge each other. So if you like podcasts and you're into B2B, you might want to check it out. So I don't just launch companies and podcasts. I also launch baby boys. So uh, these are my two boys, my three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Um, I really don't launch them. It's, it was more my wife that was the technical co-founder. Um, I was more of a support and business development role. Uh, my, my oldest one negotiated a T-Rex toy out of the current trip that I'm on. And the youngest one can't negotiate yet, but he's really upset with me. Like, for some reason, he's walking around at home right now looking for me and just kind of can't get it. When we try to Skype, he's really up. He's like, what the hell? Why the... Just why don't you, what is this? Like, why is he not here? Right, so super confused about it. All right, I need just to break. They have nothing to do with this presentation. So <laughs> yesterday at dinner, uh, I was part of a group that felt safe. So there was a statement made that was perfect for my presentation. And the statement was that running a software business would be so great if you didn't have to deal with customers. Right? <laughs> It only wasn't for these people, these humans. This beautiful software that we built would be just amazing. We want the money. The money's cool. <laughs> but dealing with the humanity attached to the money is really inconvenient, right? Really inconvenient. I want to introduce you to uh, a human. And this is going to get futuristic and philosophical just for a second. And then we're going to go really practical and tactical, all right? So this is Mary. Mary is awesome. Mary helps uh, the entire team at Closer to, with all kinds of operational tasks. She's amazing. She's a wizard. And she also helps a lot with you know, managing my calendar. So if you ever want to be on a call with me or on a meeting or lunch, you probably have to communicate with Mary. I've noticed a trend lately where people, once they meet me in person, when we had our phone call, once the call is, call is over, the meeting is over, and we have to schedule another meeting or something, I just go, hey, you know, just check with Mary and we'll figure out a time to make this happen. And then people go, let me ask you, Steli, is Mary real? 
she kind of a, is she one of these like half AI, half outsourced service and just, you know, some nice, you know, stock image and just you know, the, the illusion of a human being? Or am I really communicating with somebody real? And the first time that happened, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. That's cute. I was like, no, 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 of course she's human. But it's happening now with such regularity that I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if at some point when we communicate with each other, we'll have to certify each other as humans, right? <laughs> we'll go, hey, you know, this is the e I'm sending you an email. This is the product that we do. And by the way, I'm real human. Here's my certification, right? Don't worry. This is not just some crazy AI magic that's going on. And the, besides the humorous part of this, uh, and thinking about the future, and a future where a lot of communication will mimic humanity, but not necessarily be defined by it in the way we used to, um, you have to think about the, that, the paradigm shift with like, what does it mean for people to communicate with other human beings, and why do we care? Like, I started asking myself, so now when people ask me, is Mary real? I go, why? <laughs> right? And it freaks them out. I'm like, why? Why? Why is that important? Why do you want to discriminate Mary based on you know, if she's, <laughs> she's human or not? So there is something, and we're not going to go any deeper. I'll leave you with that question for, for you to marinate on uh, for the rest of your life. But <laughs> what I want you to understand based on this is that humans like to deal with humans. We do. And maybe you like to deal with software more than humans. Or some of us like the software a little bit more than the humanity attached to the money we want to attract with the software. But humans like to deal with other humans. And humans like to buy from other human beings. So if you want to sell something, you might want to consider that. All right. So uh, a lot of the tactics that I'm going to tell you about are things that you typically would think only a larger VC-backed kind of a company with lots of humans. Not only, only if you have lots of humans can you throw a lot of humanity at your you know, customers, right? So when you're a small team and you want to scale and you want to be smart, what you do is typically you try to cut out all human interactions because those don't scale, right? You try to figure out a way so people give you money without any human interaction whatsoever. You're trying to support them in a way that doesn't need any interaction. Let's build the perfect product that has the perfect UX and UI so we never have to talk to anybody because everything is always perfect. It's charge as little money as possible so nobody cares or worries about it. And nobody has any concerns when they have to buy. We never have to interact. And if they go, it doesn't really matter. Like We try to design these kinds of businesses. And I'm not saying these businesses are bad. I'm just saying it's not the only way to do it. We are a tiny team at Close.io. We're just eight people. And this is us on our recent retreat in Berlin. We go on a retreat every uh, three months. Uh, but here's a few things that makes us unique. And, and at the core of it is that we do things that are a little bit out of the norm. So first of all, we are venture-funded and self-funded. Yeah. Think about that one. Right? How is that possible? Well, we raised a seed round when we were a totally different business. There was all convertible debt that was supposed to convert at our A round, which never happened. So we do have investors, some amazing people, but they don't necessarily have equity. And we are running the board of the business, and we run all the decisions in the business. And we never had to raise a Series A. So we run the business just like it was bootstrapped, but we have a lot of the benefits attached to having investors. The other thing that we do is we are very small and semi-remote, so we have an office in Palo Alto, but people come and go. Lots of our people travel because we all love to travel. Uh, we just uh, we have uh, somebody that works out of Bangkok, somebody that works out of Berlin, somebody that works out of uh, you know LA. So we have a few people that are totally remote, a few people that are kind of there. We all travel once a month together, so we're we have a central point where we come together, but we're also spread apart. And we're tiny in terms of our size, but we still decided to be the most expensive solution in our very, very competitive market. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, one person. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, usually you would go, well, we have these public companies. We have these venture back companies with tens and tens of millions of dollars. We have this tiny team. Let's be the cheapest. We went the opposite way. We said, we have the greatest product. We have the greatest people. Let's be the most expensive one. We create the most value in the world to our customers, to a specific group of customers. Why should we undercharge? Um, and although our, our nearest and smallest competitor is 10 times larger, they have over 100 employees, uh, and they have you know, 50 million in, in funding, we have more revenue than them and profits, right? obviously. 
So we've been able to accomplish some of these unicorn trajectories in our first early years as a SaaS business that other companies accomplished once they raised 30, 40 million and they hired tons and tons of people by not doing that, by being a small team. Uh, but one of the enabling factors of our growth has been that we embrace humanity and with that, sales. So let's talk tactics for a second. One of the most underrated growth technologies of the world is the phone especially when it comes to software companies. Phone, right? Uh, nah, right? I have to pick it up, it's kind of heavy, and then <laughs> I have to dial, and then, I, and then look at the waste of human energy, talent, and, 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 and imagination, right? You sit there and do, do, right? You're listening to, to a beep tone. This was really close, I would have said. My first curse word, but it didn't, right? So you listen, you listen to, to the dial tone, then you listen to a voicemail. You're wasting all this time, right? Why isn't sending an email much better? You could send one email to millions of people at once versus like making one phone call at a time. You can't talk to 10 people on the phone at once, you know, other than some certain exceptions. So a lot of people don't like to deal with the phone, don't like to call their customers or their prospects. They design a business that doesn't need to do that. And I think that in some cases, it's the right strategy, but many times it isn't. And I'll tell you why it's amazing to use the phone and why all of you at least should consider it. And the ones that already do it, I'll tell you how to do it better. So uh, first of all, for companies that go, well, for us, it's all inbound. Well, Close.io is all inbound. Our sales and our traffic and our market is all inbound, all of it. We will do outbound sales at some point because we're really, really good at it. But you know, when we launched, we said, well, in a few months, we'll do outbound. And we still say, well, in a few months, we'll start outbound, right? But inbound has been working pretty, pretty well for us. So even if you have an inbound machine, people come and they sign up for a trial or for a demo, whatever it is, I want you to call these people. I want you to call them long-term in your business. Oh, let's start short-term. Short-term, I want you to call them. Even if the customer lifetime value is very small, I want you to still call them so you can learn, so you can get insights. Welcome them to your platform. You know, I had a conversation with uh, Noah Kagan from AppSumo, uh, Sumo me now, uh, in the early days, and we were trying to figure out what content marketing that we used was the most effective, and I was like, well, we don't have really the analytics set up in the right way, and I kind of feel guilty about this, but I don't really know what, which one of all the content things that we do. What are the best channels? How do I figure this out without having to invest all this time in our instrumenting my analytics? He's like, well, pick up the damn phone. Damn is not a curse word, right? So um, I'm just checking. I'm just checking, right? So, uh, so he's like, just pick up the phone and ask people, where did you hear about us? And I'm like, wow, I'm the guy preaching to everybody they should pick up the phone for sales. But then in marketing, I'm completely oblivious to it as a tool to gain insights. So you pick up the phone and you say, hey, welcome to the trial. I just wanted to personally reach out and say hi. Let me quickly ask you, how did you hear about us? And what made you sign up? How about that? How about calling some people to learn some things from them? Welcome them. Give them that extra touch. We have customers that buy from us just because we call them, and our competitors don't. And they're like, well, I want to buy sales software from an organization that understands sales. We're like, all right, on. we're with you. You should, right? And our competitors don't call them, don't welcome them. So even if you don't want to sell, call to ask questions, to learn. We call because we want to qualify every single opportunity that comes through our door so we know which opportunities need real help and real sales resources dedicated to them so they convert into customers better and faster. Um, you should call your cancellations, right? I know that we all can have now a box that forces people or not, kindly or not, to tell us why they want to go, right? And then when you make it a certain character, mom, they just go, I don't like it. <laughs> you, know, <they> just, <laughs> you get that sometimes, these annoying people that just go XXX like 100 million times, and then they go really annoying that you're forcing me into a character count to cancel my subscription, right? All right, so yes, you can do this automated, right? You can just have people fill out a form, and that's really useful, and you should do that. But how about you pick up the phone? Because I can tell you, there's nothing more sobering than to hear from somebody what's really, really bad about your software. There's no better medicine for bad ideas in all your stupidity than people telling it to you, right? Giving it to you raw from one human to another. The other thing is that on the phone, you have more context. You don't just have the words, the content, but you also have the way it was delivered. So when somebody says, yeah, it was, it was all right, it's not the same as this was all right. You go, oh, what wasn't? You don't sound that convinced. Help me out here. 
And they go, yeah, you know, the problem was that you guys didn't do X, Y, and Z, and your computer does, and we did this and this, and this failed us, and this is all the problems we created. And now we went from this was all right to here's all the problems about your product, right? So a phone conversation, a human-to-human -human conversation, allows you to get richer context, which makes for richer insights, right? Um, there's no secondhand insights. You can't outsource that. You can automate that. You have to have it, and you have to experience it to create these insights. So you want to call some of these cancellations, even if it's not calling all of them. Just call some of them. Just go, well, but it's kind of painful. Yes, that's why I want you to do it. I want you to embrace everything that's outside your comfort zone. If you leave this conference and you do everything that seemed like a really good idea and comfortable, you wasted your money and time. Right? If you can just pick one thing, I would pick the one thing that you're least comfortable with but still seems like the right idea. Because that's where all your growth is. It's going to be outside your comfort zone, not within it. So the other thing, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, when is the why does outbound cold calling still work or doesn't it anymore? And I've written the book on startup cold calling. Right? I literally wrote the book on this topic. But I don't think every company needs to do cold calling. Far from it. We are not doing it ourselves for our business right now. I am not dogmatic about cold calling. I am pragmatic about it. So in some businesses, it makes a ton of sense to do cold calling. And in some businesses, it makes no sense. All I want you to do is not to be, not to, because you don't like something, not to take it off the table if, it's, if it might be the right thing for your business. Now let's talk a little bit about how to make these calls work and how to do sales calls correctly. All we're going to do here is do the basics because the basics is where mastery lies, right? And what everybody gets wrong. When you make a sales call, the very first thing you need to do is you need to reach another human being. Sounds obvious, right? It's the, it's not, it's the number one problem why sales calls don't work. The economics, the unit economics where they don't work when people come to me and they go, Stally, our cold calling campaign does not work. I go, cool, what's your reach rate? I can bet money that they don't know. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, if you dial 100 numbers, how many times do you actually speak to a human being that has decision-making power versus listening to dial tones, voicemails, or talking to somebody that has no decision-making power? They don't know. Here's the problem. People come to me with their plans, and they're, Steli, we're going to make a, you know, we're going to make, let's say, 100 cold calls a day, and we assume that we're going to uh, get 10 people interested, and we're going to close one out of those, right? That seems kind of fair. 100, 10%, you're going to get uh, to an opportunity, and 10% of those, you're going to actually close. That seems like a reasonable funnel. The problem is that if you do cold calling, most likely your reach rate is going to be 15%. So you call 100 people, you've reached 15 people. Now, if you convert 10% of those into an opportunity, we're talking about one and a half humans, right? And if you convert... 10% of those into a customer, we talk, you know, 0.15 humans. Uh, that math looks dramatically different. And it's all because people didn't realize that the retrade is a problem. A lot of times with these things, we all want to fix the end of the funnel. We're like, how can we sell better? How can we negotiate better? Well, you need to reach somebody first, right? <laughs> if you pitch, you know, in the forest and the trees all fall, you know what I mean. So, <laughs> you know. So reach rate is really, really significant. There's, two, there's one thing you need to know. If you do inbound, with inbound, there's a really powerful hack to dramatically move your reach rate. You call people within five minutes on them signing up. Magic happens. Right? You call them an hour later, and you're going to have 100% less effectiveness in your, in your calls, in your outreach. Because if you call them within five minutes, they are most likely not in a meeting at their computer, currently looking at your thing, Right? It's much more likely they're going to pick up the phone. And when you say, hello, I'm calling from Close Isle, they're looking at it. So they, at least they won't go, what is this? Who are you? Typically what they say is, I just signed up. <laughs> and, and we go, that's why we called. <laughs> <laughs> to say, welcome, welcome. Personally, we wanted to welcome you. Hey, well, I still need to play with the product. Cool, play along. But before you do that, oh, really quickly, how did you hear about us? And why did you sign up? You know, I've done this with thousands of people. I can point you in the right direction. Instead of you trying to figure out all the answers on your own, I'll point you in the right directions quickly. And if we can figure out that this is not the right tool for you, I'll point you to another direction. And we do that regularly. Very simple. If you do uh, outbound cold calling, 
what you want to do is you want to, um, you need to consider a lot of things to make it work, right? And you need to consider who am I selling to? Is this, a, is this personal persona communicating through the phone? Do they ever pick up the phone when somebody calls them that they don't recognize? So if you sell to VPs of marketing and Fortune 500 companies, good luck cold calling them, right? But if you sell to, you know, accountants, lawyers, sometimes other professionals, um, some of them do pick up the phone regularly and they get lots of calls from people they don't recognize and it's a great channel for you to reach them. What you want to keep in mind is that your reach rate when you call people needs to be above 15%. Right? If you can't push it to 20, 30, 40%, magic, beautiful. If it's below 10%, you're dead in the water. Don't optimize your pitch, please. Right? Don't try to come up with a new PowerPoint. Like Nothing will fix this problem. You, you can't make calling work if you almost reach nobody you call. Right? It's never going to work. So now that I reach somebody, I need to sound good. Now, this is, again, hard to swallow for some of our more technical friends here. But when humans interact, a lot of the communication part is nonverbal. It has nothing to do with the content. It has a lot to do with body language if we're in person uh, and with tonality. And on the phone, it's all tonality. It's like 80% how you sound and only 20% what you say. This is so hard to believe that you need to demonstrate it once in a while to people. I, back in the day, many, many ages ago, uh, when I had a much larger sales force, I literally would call people and we had this pitch that was like, we'll save you $5,000 in five years, blah, 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 whatever. And I would call people and tell them, we will save you $5 in 5,000 years. All we need to do is relax, sit back, and now we're going to think about X, Y, and Z. And people would take the meeting, they would buy the product, and my team would be like, holy cow. Right? So, so it does not matter. The, the point in that situation is that the brain, the brain is a magical device, and the brain goes, Five dollars, five thousand years, that makes no sense and changes the data sometimes just to make sense out of it. Right? You heard of that study where they were testing this in universities and that the banana and one student would jump up and like stab another student with a banana and they had it propped up so there was blood and everything. And the student runs out with the banana and there's like police and ambulance, everybody coming and then the police is interviewing the people, the students that were sitting around them and they're all describing the knife. All of them. Because the brain went, banana? That's bananas. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that can stab somebody, so just change the banana to a knife, right? The, so the way you sound will create an image in the person's ear and then through that in their mind. And that image will influence how they feel about you, and how they feel about you will influence how influenced they want to be by you. You know, it's not the nicest thing. We all would like to just give the facts and then people make rational decisions, but that's not the reality of the world we live in today. Who knows with the AIs in the future, right? But right now, you need to understand that if you call people, you better sound good. And that means that you need to sound excited because if you're not excited talking to me, why should I care about you? You called me. You interrupted me. I'm just making myself a sandwich. Like, if you're bored talking to me, what the hell? Right? So you better be excited and happy talking to me. You better sound a little smart and like an authority, somebody who knows something about something. Otherwise, why would I want to talk to you? Right? We want to talk to people that sound successful, that sound like they're an authority, that sound authentic, that sound like somebody we could trust potentially. Um, so you need to pay attention to the kind of energy and state you're in when you make these calls or when other people in your team make these calls. This matters. It sounds very much like personal development, boo ha ha, just sit in front of a mirror and go, we're going to be great, we're going to be great, we're gonna, and then you call and everything's going to be great. So, and I know that that's not that appealing of an idea, and it's also not a good practice to do it exactly this way. But you need to care. When people are on the phone and they sound like this, yes, I'm calling from... Uh, ABC Software, I wanted to uh, welcome you to our platform. Just kill myself. <laughs> just just let's, uh, let's, both, let's both just kill ourselves, right? This is horrible. And a lot too many times I hear people sound like that. Salespeople, CEOs, founders, engineers, everybody. Like too many people sound horribly unenthusiastic when they're calling to talk to a prospect or a customer. Like it's a crime in my world, right? Stop doing that. Um, then you want to ask questions. So a lot of times people, and we had this with somebody in the audience, uh, where they're like, well, our pitch is like 20 to 30 minutes. How can we do that when we're doing a cold call? Well, you don't. And your pitch can be shorter than that. But my whole point is, like, when you pitch, you give just, you want to just give me one sentence, a little bit of something, or like, what is the context of this? And then you don't go on telling me your life story and everything your product does. You don't, I, you don't have the permission yet. You haven't built up the social capital. All you do is when you, when you pick up the phone, think about it. You pick up the phone, what is in your mind when somebody talks to you you don't know? Who is this? 
who is this, who is this, who is this? So what you do first is you answer that question, right? You go, hey, my name is Steli. I'm calling for reason X, Y, and Z, and this is why I called right now. And then the person, think about the, that as a like, user journey, UX, right, of that phone call. Then the person goes, well, what does Steli want from me, right? And I go, here's what I want for you. What we do is, in a sentence, right, so you can relax. This is not going to take all your day. What we do in a sentence is X, Y, and Z. Those are, in general, sound interesting to you. Now I know the person thinks either yes, no, maybe, right? So they go, Yes, and I go, great, and now I ask some questions to figure out if they are the right fit or not. And I say, great, what's your sales process like? They go, maybe. I go, great, what's your sales process like? And they go, no. I say, great, what's your sales process like? <laughs> it's not that I never care if they like it or not, if they're interested in it or not. I just don't care at the beginning, but I need them to get it out of their system. Right? I don't want them to just think it. They need to verbalize it so they can now pay attention to me. And I don't want to sell them if they're not the right fit, but they don't know and I don't know yet. We've just said hello. Right? There's not enough information on the table to make a really good and educated decision. But I know that they'll have an opinion, and I can't just talk over that. Because if somebody thinks, oh, this is not for me, and I go, well, we did it, did it, did it, did it, and they're, oh, sh oh, I'm going to get out of this call now. I have to buy flowers for my wife, right? So then while I'm talking, they're not listening. We all assume people are listening just because we're talking. Think about how many times somebody talks to you and you're not paying attention, especially when they're not there in person. You're like checking your Facebook statuses or deploying some new code. And you're just like, there's a, there's, it's like a script. And when they say the right keywords, you zoom in again, right? But you're not paying attention the entire time somebody speaks. I have shocking news for you that also applies when you talk to other people. <laughs> We never seem to consider that. We never seem to consider that when we talk. We only, we only know about all our defense mechanisms when other people talk to us. So you want to ask a bunch of questions to figure out who are these people and how can you help them. Like, there's a simple qualifying process we go through. First, I need to know, can I help you? Then I need to know, can you help me? Only if the answer is yes, I sell. But then selling is pretty easy. So I'll ask a bunch of questions to figure out, is this person a right fit? Can we really, truly help them? And then I'll ask some questions to see, is this a decision maker? Do they have the money? What's the decision making process? Are they going to be a referral customer? Like, is this going to be somebody who helps me? And if the answer to both questions is yes, then I sell. But then selling is easy. That's the easy part. So you want to learn how to ask really good questions and pay attention. And then you need to manage objections. I'll just say one thing with this. People are surprised again and again and again about getting the exact same objections. How in the hell are you surprised about this stuff? People always ask this. As if it's like the people's sh humans, right? They always ask about our pricing. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe if they always ask about pricing, how about preparing for that question? <laughs> That's a crazy idea, right? How about just having a Word doc? And in that Word doc, you write down the 10 most common questions or objections. And then you think about an answer to those. Preferably an answer that's like just one sentence or two. Because again, it's more about the delivery than the, than the answer. Again, some people are pained by this truth, but it's the truth. Some people can ask you really ridiculous questions just by you answering with clarity and confidence. They'll, it's just a transaction of confidence. They'll just go, I have doubt about this thing. I feel weird. And then they'll ask you, and you'll feel really good and really calm and really confident about it. They'll go, all right, this feels OK now. And they'll move on to the next topic. right? So, But the point is that you're able to answer these objections not by computing the answers in real time and feeling horrible about yourself for having to do this again, but by preparing for it, right? And then this is version control. You don't do this once and it's perfect forever. You have versions. You start with version one. You just spend 30 minutes on it so you don't waste your life. And then once a week, you check in with the team and you go, are these still valid, good answers? Are we getting good responses to them? If not, let's improve on them. And then finally, you go for the close. Um, so, and I'm not going to talk too much about that. If you want to learn more about that, shoot me an email, steli at close.io. Too many phone calls, too many human interactions that don't end with just the ask for the close. Hey, are you guys ready to buy? Are you excited? Are we going to do this? Can you give me your credit card number? Are you signing up? Are we getting a commitment? We all are afraid to ask that question because that question creates a moment of truth. And that truth, it might hurt because they might just reject me. So I'd rather go into nicey-nicey land and go, this was really an amazing demo. Thank you for your time. And they go, oh, yes, this was really great. Thank you for your time. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> And then you go back to your team. You're like, this was an amazing demo. We faked each other 12 times. I mean, the chemistry was off the hook. And then, and then they go, all right, so what's happening is we'll, we'll wait and they'll buy. Yeah, sure, all right. 
So you have to ask for the money, right? You have to ask. You have to create these moments of truth. All right. Let's talk a little bit about email. Uh, here's my main issue with most B2B companies when it comes to the emails they send. They're all very, they're all marketing emails. And I want you to also send sales emails, right? Marketing emails have nice HTML and they come from email addresses that are like contact ad or support ad or even better, no reply ad, but I don't think you guys do make this mistake. And they come from a non-human, obvious, a one-to-many communication with something that's very like, you know, artificial, nice looking, but it's not like human communication. You wouldn't paint beautiful pictures to communicate your point to your mom, right? You just tell her and look her in the eyes. So I want you to send marketing emails and newsletter emails and all that stuff, but I also want you to start sending sales emails. Now, what makes a sales email a sales email? Very simple. A few things. Number one, it needs to feel like it comes from a human being. So no HTML. It comes from a real human being email address, even if it's automated. It's Steli at, it's Kevin at, it's Phil at. It's not contact, sales, support, some generic email address. Then you don't write subjects, subject headlines that read like ads. The 10 reasons why Closar will change your sales team. I would never talk like that to another, I would never write this all capital letters to another human being, right? It's obvious in the subject that this was not written to me by another human being. So you want to make sure that your subject lines read like a human being wrote it. Hey, I have a quick question. Close eye might help. Like something that sounds like a human being wrote it. Small letters. There's even hacks. If you have misspellings in subject lines, it increases open rates sometimes. <laughs> Seems more human. We like it, right? So we'll click it. So you want to send a lot more than you're comfortable with. So you know, a actually great SaaS entrepreneur and investor once said, if some part of your email list doesn't think you're spamming them, you're sending to little emails, right? And you know, whatever it is that you're comfortable with, you need to send more. Now you can segment and you can pay attention to the people that want to unsubscribe, they unsubscribe. You can pay attention to people that don't open your emails and you can start reducing the emails these people get. But the people that open your emails and respond to them and I engage, send them more. They obviously like it. You want to send a ton of email. You want to over-communicate, especially when somebody signs up for a trial of your product. It's your responsibility to stay top of mind. It's your responsibility to manage the relationship, not theirs. They sign up next moment. Oh, I'm hungry, sandwich, I'm distracted, flowers, my wife. That's it. They've never thought, they never think about you again, right? It's your job to keep top of mind. They get hundreds and hundreds of emails for some like daily deal sites they subscribe. So your email that you sent is like in inbox nirvana five minutes later. They'll never see this thing again, right? So you need to be on top of mind. Send a lot of emails, send follow ups. Um, you want to make your emails call to action oriented. What? Okay, this is what you wanted to communicate with me. What do I do now? Give me one thing, only one thing, but please give me one thing. Don't send me emails that don't tell me to do nothing. Right? You're wasting my time. Just give me one thing to do. Is there something to click, something to read, to reply with something? What do, why did you send me this? What is my job now? How can I get this out of my inbox and get my responsibility done? Um, same basics with sales emails, right? Uh, you need to open it, read them, respond, and follow up. So very basic things. Open is the biggest thing. So a lot of times people send me their sales emails and they go, Stella, can you critique those? And I go, no. And they go, why? And I go, because there's no subject line. I'm not going to look at your email if I don't know what the subject line is. So we discussed good subject lines. Make sure that you write like a human. Make sure that you don't trick me. A lot of times people are like, what was the most effective subject line ever written to you? I'm like, most effective subject line ever written to me was, uh, you know, I opened my inbox after my vacations, hundreds and hundreds of emails. I immediately zoom into one email that says, very disappointed. <laughs> and I click on that. And then it's a dot, dot, dot that we haven't been able to connect yet. I've tried to email you a number of times, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> delete. Right? I applauded that person. Ah, you tricked me into opening it. All right, delete. So just because you get really great open rates, that's not the whole experience. If you trick me, hey, I guarantee you, if I send you an email today and it says, I have your mother in my basement, even if you don't have a mother, you will open that email. But that does not mean that you're going to read, respond, and become a customer, right, and appreciate it. So, like, let's keep the entire journey in mind, right? Subject lines that deliver, like, write emails that deliver on the promise of your subject line. 
right? Please. Then every sentence in your email is a pitch to keep on reading. A lot of times people send me these huge emails, and at the bottom they have the best stuff. Because they just assume, since they wrote all of this sequentially, I will surely read all of this sequentially. <laughs> Again, not true. Shh, don't bury the lead. Come out swinging. Every sentence needs to be answering the question like, okay, so, so, what, why am I spending my time with this? Now, that's why you want to keep it brief. Because if your email is just one sentence, it's harder not to read it than to read it. It takes more human decision-making energy for me not to read these four words than to read them. But if you send me a huge email, it's a surefire way for me to archive your email. I just go, you don't respect your time and my time, so this is not going to be a great relationship. So make sure that the email that you write are short to the point. And every sentence you need to ask yourself, if I only read this sentence, would I read on? And if the answer is no, you need to edit and short it down. Again, you need to get me to respond. But in emails, you need to imagine that I'm not going to respond. Because I get distracted, because I have other things in my mind, because I'm like, there's friction, right? Ah, should I say Monday or Tuesday? Monday is not it. And that's it. Now the phone rings or something happens, and I'm done. Like, I'm like done with that decision. And it, now it's even harder for me to go back to this email, right? Because I already experienced some friction, some decision making back and forth on it. So make sure you follow up. And I'll talk about this in a little bit in more depth and detail. Here's a cool template that you can use for people that wanna, don't want to follow up indefinitely, which is what I re recommend to most people. Especially in an automated setting, what you can do is you can utilize the breakup email. This is a very, very powerful email template, right? You send, basically somebody signs up and you send them an email that says, hey, let's get on the phone, then send them another email, hey, let's do this demo, and send another email, hey, I saw you use this and this, but you haven't uploaded your context, here's the way to do it. Send them another email with like, hey, it's time for you to upgrade, here's a discount code. And they never reply to any of these emails. Here's a powerful email to write. Uh, this is the example from HubSpot. I think their subject line is not that great. The, they use the format, but they do a poor job at it, in my opinion. So they say thank you from HubSpot. A better subject line would be goodbye from HubSpot. Because what they basically say here, and I'll send you the templates if you want, Stelliate, Closeout. Um, they say, hey, I've tried to communicate with you so many times. Now is the point where I have to make the decision that's probably something is not right for you right now. So here's the deal. I'm going to take you off my list. You will never hear from me again. If you ever want to get in touch, you can get in touch with me. Here's another example of the exact same email from Trunk Club, right? Uh, which is goodbye from Trunk Club. Better, I would even make it goodbye from Steli, right? From the person. And then again, it says, "Hey, I tried many times. It seems like you're not interested. If you are, I'm always here to help. But you're off my list. You will never hear from me again." Those are the emails. Like I. I and here I tracked it. There were like four emails with Trunk Club. It was five or six with HubSpot. I never replied to any of these emails. I always replied to the goodbye one. Always do. This is a very, very effective email. Because you take something away from humans, they want it. Right? The moment they took it away from me, I was like, no, no, I am interested. That's why I signed up. I truly was. I just didn't have time. Until they told goodbye. Right? And I was like, no, 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 don't say goodbye yet. Um, Demos. When you demo your product, this is a good one. All right. So this is one of the most painful parts of software companies, is watching their demos right? and experiencing their demos. I've seen thousands, and they all were terrible. All of them. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to make the world a better place right now together by deciding to stop this, at least for the companies in this room. Right? He, uh, there's a few simple rules. This is not that magical. It's not that hard to give great demos. A few simple rules. Number one, you want to make your demo sh short, 15 minutes. Not 30, not 60. Most software companies, especially the ones in the enterprise space, 60-minute demos with another 30-minute Q&As. Kill me now, right? It's horrible. You want to make your demos short. You want to make sure that you only give demos to the right people. You know how many demos I've seen? An hour, 12 people on our team are you know, dialed into this demo. And then at the end, it turns out, <coughs> when they ask, well, what are the next steps? The person goes, well, it's a good question. This is kind of my first day here <laughs> as an intern. So I'm not quite clear what the next steps are. Well, what the hell? Right? And, then, and then again, people get upset. This is outrageous. These humans again. <laughs> Wasting our time. Well, how about qualifying the people you dedicate an hour and a half of your day to? How about picking up the phone, asking a few questions to realize, who is this person? Can we truly help them? What's the best way of helping them? Is it really a demo? 
So only give demos to people that are truly qualified. When you do, make it short. Realize that it's not about demonstrating all your features and functionalities. This is so obvious, but I really want you, what I want you to do is I want you to record the demo you give and then watch it with this slide next to it, print it out. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Hey, most of the secrets of life are no secrets. They're just really hard to implement. Like, what is the secret to living a, you know, a fit life? What can I do with the new book, a new sport, a new thing? Eat broccoli and work out. <laughs> Boom, done. That's it. Like, there's no magic in this. But, but the doing it is something that I don't want to do. <laughs> so can you give me something I want to do? No. Right? So I can't. I just can't. So here's the deal. We all know these things. Nothing I tell you today is something that's like magical and you've never heard or thought about before. But that's not the point. My point is, can I get you to do one of these things? One more than you did yesterday. Then we made the world a better place. We made this a great event. Right? That's all it is. What's the one thing? Look at your demos. I have to look at our demos, and our demos are horrible. <laughs> they are. Like, there's so much we need to improve. And once we improve it, six months later, you look at it again, and they're grown into terrible land again. Right? This needs constant work. So you don't demonstrate all features. Don't click things. I'm going to punch you if you click things. Like, people go, and this is the page where you send the emails. Look. This is the email I pre-written. Here's the send button. Click on send. Now we're going to watch the spinny wheel. Oh, it spins. It spins. Oh, see, send. What? Why did I have to watch this? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's mindless. This is mindlessness at work. Like, people just not thinking, just going, what's the simplest way to do? I know how to use everything in this product. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show this person everything in this product. Oh, here's, you click settings. Just... You know, yes, this is self-control here at its best, ladies and gentlemen. It really is. All right, so please don't click on things. Just go. This is the page where we send emails. It's beautiful. See the templates, super simple, two seconds. Here's the next page. Keep it moving. Show me the things I need to see. Then I have questions. Answer those. Boom. Let's get to the next point. Why do we need to click on the button and watch it spin? Like, it's just stupid. The other thing, you don't, you, this is, demos are not training. You're not making me a black belt ninja in your software right now. That's not the purpose of it. Thank you, one person. I'll take it. Um, it's not, you're demonstrating value. You're not training me in proficiency in your product, right? And then, please be prepared for errors and mistakes. This is another thing where we're like, where we're humans are very irrational. You know, somebody gives a demo, really important client, they click around, and then, oh, I lost my internet connection. Ah, uh, ooh, mm, let me, let me see. Uh, this never happens. Uh, 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 really? Or they click on something in this error message. And they, ooh, well, ha, uh, hmm. Uh, I don't, this, uh, nah, really, all right, people, this is not the first time on your rodeo, it's not the first time this happened in a demo. And then they end up like, go to the engineering room, they kick in the door and they're like, this is ridiculous, I just had a demo and everything broke down, you guys are crazy. And the engineer is just like, oh, you know, do I really have to interrupt listening to the Rolling Stones right now <laughs> to listen to this dude? And they just do this. You know. and, and, and nothing gets done. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare for these things that happen again and again. How about before you do a demo, you open up all the tabs of the most important screens you need to share so you can share it if you're online or offline. If you can't do that, take some screenshot and have it in a PowerPoint. If there's a bug, here's what we do when there's an error in a live demo. When there's an error in a live demo, we go, oh, this is beautiful. This is a perfect opportunity for me to demonstrate to you. This is a real error. I didn't plan this. And I'm going to demonstrate to you how to communicate to our support team to fix this. Right, so you go up and to the right. You go into live chat. We have real engineers in there. Our team that builds the product answers your questions. And watch this. I'm writing, hey, Phil, I'm doing a live demo right now. <laughs> and I've just got this error. 
Any ideas what to do next? And then Phil says, well, I want you to open console. <laughs> you know, uh, What exactly did you do? Is it reproducible? And we go through a little routine, and then I go, this is the way you deal with things when things break down. It doesn't happen often, but when it happens, I want you to be prepared. That's it. It's the little things you do that makes you stand out. You really just have to open one eye. You're king amongst the blind. Really, that's what it is. Every day we marvel. Every day we marvel at how successful we are. We're like, this is ridiculous. We're a bunch of jokers. How are we so successful? <laughs> this is crazy, right? It's the little things. You do this, you stand out. How many demos have they seen where something went wrong and people are like flustered? Uh, 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 and then you do a demo and you're totally prepared, relaxed, and happy. That's, that's all it takes to make a human comfortable with you, makes you, makes you trust you. I want to do business with you. Very simple. So uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but you should email me about this. This is the number one piece of advice that I give with the highest ROI attached to it. I know this because every day at this point, I get about five emails of people telling me the magical things that happen in their life by following my follow-up advice. A very simple rule. When we have a communication, right, when a call, a meeting in person, an email exchange, and you show some level of interest in my proposition, and then you go silent, I will follow up indefinitely. <laughs> that means forever. <laughs> forever. Until I get a response. I'm cool with yes and no. Both are good. Both are clear end results. The place where companies go to die is the maybe land. The we don't know what happened land. We have to make up stories in our mind what happened land. I don't like to live there. I like to live in no or yes. Both to me are clear results. Both of them give me data, give me information what to do, what to improve, and how things are going. So you will hear from me forever. There's many examples. I've given talks about how we got billionaire investors, how we got press. I got to this event because of follow-up. I sent Mark an email, he doesn't remember this, two years ago. Hey, I should be a speaker at your conference. I never heard from Mark. Then I sent another email. Hey, you know, watch all these talks. Didn't hear. Then I had another person in the team reach out to Mark or somebody else on the team. Didn't hear anything back. And then I was like, Patrick, can you be so kind to tell Mark that you like me? And <laughs> round of applause for Patrick, please. That's how you get invited to events to speak. People are like, how are you getting invited? Oh, it's not invited. It's kind of an open to interpretation <laughs> term. But now, once in a while, I do. But follow up a lot. I have, we're building a whole book about this, case study after case study of people closing million-dollar deals, getting funding, getting press, creating magic, but just following the simple rule. You will never, ever, ever stop following up. When somebody is silent, you don't equate it with rejection. You equate that with they're busy and they're having a life that has nothing to do with you. That's why they don't reply. It's your job to keep the relationship going. You want to visit your customers. So a lot of times uh, I was evaluating if a word is a curse word or not. So <laughs> a, lot, a lot of times. Uh, you think of visiting customers physically as like an enterprise thing to do, right? Only big enterprise customers strip us in stakes. Strip us is a profession, right? This still, I'm still in the clear. So you think of like, <laughs> you have to go, you have to go and take this customer out and like wine and dine them and do spend all this money to get the $10 million contract. Well, we sell to people that, you know, pay us. $100 a month, $500 a month, $10,000 a year is not enough for me to fly around and visit all these people. You don't have to, but you still have to visit your customers. Even if your customer lifetime value is 1000 bucks, I want you to start visiting your customers. Not all of them, but some of them. There's nothing more beautiful than walking into an office of a customer and seeing your product live in production and seeing the pain and confusion <laughs> in the faces of the people that truly have to use it, not just the people that bought it. Nothing more powerful than sitting down and building relationships. Getting context. Again, this is more, even more context than the phone call. You now see the office, the energy, the people. You see the other software tools that run in the background. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what is this on the screen? You're using this competitive product with, like, why? Yeah, we like their thingy thing better than your thingy thing. <laughs> you would never know, right? You would never know. You, you want to... You want to build a relationship face-to-face. -face. These people are going to create, it's going to create loyalty, and that loyalty is going to translate into more money, into better relationships, more insights, more champions. We like to visit customers. This is a customer that we visited when we were in Berlin. Um, I travel a lot. We all travel a lot. And when we travel, we take that as an opportunity. Since we're not at the office anyways, 
to visit customers. We have customers around the world. Every time we travel, we visit our customers. We show up there, we shake hands, we kiss babies, we give books, we, and we go and we talk to the users that sometimes are not the people that communicate with us on a daily basis through support chat or email. And then we ask them, how do you like it? And they go, eh, it's all right. And then we go, oh, cool. What is not great about it? So you want to visit your customers. Even if you just do it once a quarter, once a year, I don't care. Start visiting your customers. Right? When you, well, you want to give support. There's not, no news here. But the way that we like to give support is one where we give real support. So you know, one of my co-founders is doing support full time, the entire business and company. Everybody in the company is doing support. At this point of size of our customer base and, and revenue base, it's kind of hard to do. It gets harder and harder every single month to maintain doing that. Even harder is it when things go bad. And that's the most important time for you to turn support into something that generates money. It's not just a nicey-nicey thing that you kind of, a necessary evil. Humans have questions. you know that they can answer through a support or a, a knowledge base. So because humans are not proficient in reading themselves what the answers are, we have to have humans answering some of those questions. It's not just that. It can be an amazing opportunity to turn things around, especially when they're bad. Yesterday, while at this amazing conference, our app went down. Right? And I'm like getting into the groove of the conference. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. And then it's like we're getting, you know, Tens and tens of call every minute, emails, people like, what, what is, where's the app? And we have a mission critical app, right? It's not just like, hey, if you can check it, you can check it. If you can't check it, you can't make sales calls and emails and talk to your customers, right? So your sales team is sitting there kind of worthless without the software allowing them to do their job. So all of a sudden, you have to leave this conference. And then the question is, what do you do? Not just fixing the problem, but do you show up? Do you call these people that are complaining, even when you don't have a good answer? And you just take the punishment, and you go, Yes, we're horrible. Yes, this is terrible. Give me all your aggression, all your frustration. Just give it to me so it's out of your system. And I'll just take the punishment because I deserve it. And then I'll tell you that I'll call you back in 10 minutes once we fix the problem. Right? And then I'll call you back and tell you why we fixed it, how we fixed it, and what we're going to do about this not happening again. It's very uncomfortable, but it's those moments that turn things around. We, had, we made some big, you know, stupid mistake a year ago, too. And we actually decided to afterwards call every single customer and apologize. And we took that opportunity to have a real conversation with these people. And a lot of them told us how happy they are usually with us. And then we turned that into, you know what? You've been such a loyal customer. You're so happy. Uh, and you're super understanding, you know, even when we mess things up. I love you. I want to give you a better price on our product. How about we switch it to an annual contract? <laughs> And you get, take advantage of our 15% annual discount. We converted an insane amount of people to annual contracts. <laughs> That's how you turn something negative into something positive. You have to bite the bullet, though. You have to call these people that you're uncomfortable with, that you know are going to shout at you and not happy, don't, not going to sing you praises. It's those things, things outside your comfort zone. If we do it and you're a competitor you don't, we're going to crush you. It's those little things that make all the difference. Um, oh, this was the back button. All right. so. Just a word on enterprise sales for those of you that are crazy enough or delusional enough to attempt it. Um, I just have one point. IBM does not buy software. There, there's no corporation buying software yet, you know, until AI changes everything. So until then, there's always people. It's always going to be Bob, Mary, John, Joe, some human. Usually in enterprises, it's a collection of humans, which is why it's so hard to do that are making these decisions. I, went, I interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, most of you or many of you might know him. And I was telling him, how did you transition from selling wine, wine, to selling multi-million dollar contracts to Fortune 500 in the advertising space? And he was like, what's the question? What transition? I was selling to Bob and Mary wine. Now I'm selling to Bob and Mary advertising budgets. I was just dealing people. It doesn't matter what I sell. We realize that a lot of the mystic, oh, we don't know what we're doing, and we don't know why we're not doing it the right way, all that goes away. And you realize it's just people. The thing that makes it complicated is you deal with many people, and you need to realize that all these people have conflicting interests. A lot of times software businesses, especially startups, they think because you always think of the best interest of the overall business, you go and you pitch the overall best interest of the business. You go, this is why our software is the right thing for IBM. And the person thinks, what's in it for me? 
is this good for Bob? Because it's not good for Bob. Who cares about IBM? <laughs> they were around before I was here, and they're going to be around when I leave. I need to take care of my own interests, right? So if something seems risky to Bob, it doesn't matter if it's the right thing for IBM. He's not going to do it. Something th seems risky or stupid or bad for the career of Mary, she's not going to do it. So there's individual interests. There are group interests, maybe a department, you know, a division, and then there's the overall good of the business. You need to understand that all these usually are in complete conflict in enterprise and in large organizations. And you need to navigate that conflict by adjusting your pitch to the individual, to the group, and to the overall business. And most people don't. Most people just give one generic pitch, and they hope they'll catch it. It just needs one person that looks at this and goes, this is risky for my career. And you're done. You're done. If you realize that and you always deal with a person, that's, again, why you know, whining and dining and meeting in person enterprise is so important. It's not that you can't discuss these things over the phone. It's that it's hard to build up the relationship so that Bob tells you about you know, this other person in their department that's really you know, not that great of a person. And the boss, it's, like, you need to know these juicy details to know what's going on there so you can navigate these waters. But once you realize that, a lot of the complexities go away. And it's actually pretty simple. For people that want to know more, I've written two books. We actually have just written hundreds of blog posts, and we turned them magically into books as uh, a content marketing strategy of ours. But these books are really good. One is about, all about outbound sales for startups. One is all about inbound sales for startups. And then we combine the two to make the ultimate, ultimate <laughs> book for startups. We like to repurpose and remix content. That's why we're winning with content. And we like to create really useful content, hopefully. So if you want any one of these, all three, which would be redundant but still nice, you can email me at steli at close.io, and I'll give it to you for free. And then I will quickly summarize, and then I'll leave you with a story. So what the five, I want you to think about these five ways to sell software using sale. <laughs> you know, we didn't have enough. I didn't think through the spacing enough to add that last S. So five simple things. I want you to start calling people. I want you to start using the power of the phone to connect with other human beings for your business. I want you to start sending more emails and send these emails again, just like a human being would send to another human being, communicate like a human being. I want you to start giving good demos, short, to the point, demonstrating value, being prepared for problems and issues that could arise. I want you to visit your customers. Just do me a favor, right after this, just write down one customer you will visit before the end of this year. I promise you it's going to make you a better person, your business a better business, your product a better product, their lives better. It's just going to make humanity a much nicer place. Go and visit your customers in person. And then give real support, especially when things are really bad. Don't hide behind your help desk center. Don't hide behind some generic email. Don't, hi don't hide. Show up. Show face. It might be a great opportunity for you to build a relationship and get a lot more money from them. I'm going to end uh, my presentation with this. So a lot of times people ask me, they say, well, Steli, you're this great, amazing sales guy, you're Silicon Valley sales guru and all that. What was the most powerful sales pitch you got, the, the time you were sold in the most amazing way? And I always tell this story. This is 12, 13 years ago. I just started as an entrepreneur. My first business was going kind of all right. I'm like 17, 18 years old. And eventually, I'm able to afford a nice suit. Right? I'm coming from really humble factory worker, immigrant family background, so I don't have a lot of money. Now I have some money, I want to buy a really nice suit to feel really professional and great about me being an entrepreneur. So I go to this really expensive place, and I feel kind of uncomfortable. I'm a dude, so when I shop, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right? I'm just more like a special unit forces thing. I just, you drop me in, I go and grab, it, <laughs> gra grab the, the, uh, the target, and just, I'm out of there. Right? I don't want to spend too much time in there. So when salespeople approach me, I always just go, no, 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 no. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Just don't talk to me. So I walk into the store, and this is extra uncomfortable because it's a very expensive store, right? I want to buy something expensive so my ego feels great about myself. So I walk in there, and I'm just like, I really don't want to talk to anybody because I really don't know anything about these things. So, right, I feel uncomfortable. So this is older dude, super slim, bold, immaculately dressed. He looks like somebody has experienced or seen something in his life. Uh, super charismatic. And he sees me and he approaches me and I go, da, 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 da. no, 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 no. I'm just looking, I'm just looking. And I just run into a corner. And he's shadowing me the entire time. He's just plotting. <laughs> and then at the right moment, I look at some like tie and he throws in some really nice little fact. And he goes, well, this tie will not work for you, this color, da, da, da. And he says something and reels me in. And we start talking. And he's just, 
doing his magic, magical guy, right? Gives me this advice, tells me what to wear, what not to wear, does this whole spiel, all of that. At the end of the day, I'm in front of the, the, the counter, you know, ready to pay. He, all this stuff, this huge pile of clothes, and he push it, puts everything in, and it's like, all right, it's 3,000 euros. And I'm like, all right, that's a bit more than I wanted, but then again, kind of cool. I'm so successful, <laughs> I'm going to spend that much money today. So I grab into my pocket, and I realize I don't have my wallet. And there's like a line behind me, and now I get like insecurities, right? I'm 17, I'm like, oh, these people will think I can't pay it. This guy will think I can't afford it. So I'm like, oh, I forgot my money. I will come back never. And so, so I'm like sweating now. I'm red. I'm like, so I'm telling the, the, this person, I'm like, oh, I'm super sorry. I forgot my wallet. Oh, crazy. Can, I just, can you just put it to the side? And I will go and grab my wallet, and I will come back, and everything is going to be fine. And he looks at me, and he goes, no. And I'm like, oh, man. And he goes, what do you mean, put it to the side? These are your clothes. You take them with you. And whenever you can, you come and you pay. And I was like. <laughs> so he packs everything up, and he gives it to me. And I'm like, slowly. <laughs> you know, opening the door. Just <laughs> checking if there's an alarm or something. And I walk out, and I'll tell you what I did next. I went into my car, I called my next appointment, I canceled, I drove home, I picked up my wallet, I drove right back to that store, I walked in, and I paid. And I'll tell you what I would have done if that person would have put the stuff to the side. I walked out there, and I would have never come back, because I was embarrassed, and because I hate shopping, and because it took me half a year to get the energy to get myself to go and buy some clothes. And up until that point, never, nobody ever treated me like that with that level of respect and trust. And 13 years ago, I don't know what ties I bought. I don't know what clothes I bought. After that event, I started going to the store every single month, and I spent on average two, two to 3000 every month with this specific sales guy, every month. It's 13 years ago. I don't, know, I don't own any of these clothes anymore. I don't know what I bought. I don't know his name, I don't even know the store name, but I will never forget how he made me feel. I will never forget that. I tell this story all the time, on stage. I've told this to thousands of people, and I will continue telling the story forever. So, as humans, we do still possess a little bit of power, and that power is to make another human being feel something. Don't disregard that power when you run your business. Thank you very much. Thank you.